0: Welcome into another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely on this week's program, Carbon Monoxide, The Silent Killer. It is Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week. We find out more about what it is, what it can do to you, and how to keep it from doing it to you. Eating disorders, RVH, and Aurelia Soldiers Memorial Hospital have teamed up on a program to help youth get caught in that quagmire. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall makes his regular monthly appearance, bringing an update on how the city is progressing on addressing affordable housing and the need for housing in the city in general. The Barry Colts had a better week, and a lot of kids are having a better week on the ice thanks to McDonald's and its Atomic program. We learn more about its impact on kids' hockey and how to take advantage of it. We get the conversation started after this. this is what barry's talking about from barry 360 i'm dan blakely affordable housing still top of mind for barry mayor alex nuttle but also jobs for people moving into new homes the city wants to see built you stop by this week for his monthly chat this time with barry 360's will conkin
2: Lots on the housing front, uh, Mayor. Let's start with uh, Barry's affordable housing strategy. There's an affor- affordable housing strategy on November 9th coming up. Um, there's a survey the public can fill out. The city has a list of action items, I believe. Uh, the strategy is being developed in three phases. What's the end goal?
3: I think there's, uh, the end goal is to make sure that housing in Barry is affordable for folks who uh, work and live here. Uh, when you think about uh, the cost of housing and how it's gone up over the last 20 years here in the city, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a very difficult thing for Barry families, for for young people, for seniors trying to downsize. Uh, the costs are exorbitant. And so uh, if we can create a strategy that going forward, uh, individuals who are, uh, you know, looking for a home, looking for housing, a long term place to live, uh, are able to access that. Uh, and provide that stability for them themselves and their families. Uh, I think that's uh, obviously the, the main goal of the entire strategy.
2: And then um, on top of that, the Ford government recently announced it was uh, reversing the plans to change uh, the urban boundaries of Barrie and a few other municipalities as well. After finding uh, the decisions were not made in a manner that maintains and reinforces public trust, uh, so what changes, if any, were in store for uh, the Barry Boundaries?
3: So so, so the city of Barry Boundary didn't change in advance. I think there was a little bit of a misunderstanding in the media on that. Um, we didn't have a boundary change in advance, but uh, the... Uh, for government did rescind some of those changes in other places. But that doesn't mean that it's not an important subject that we need to talk about. When you think about the city of Barrie, you know, we've grown to the south. Uh, We've grown, uh, there is what I refer to as the annexation lands came in from Minnesville. Those lands, when they were first announced, were supposed to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 people and 10,000 jobs developed. In the final vote, when it finally came forth, uh, it was more like 45,000 people and 5,000 jobs. When you think about Highway 400, we already have 40,000 people jumping down the highway a day. We have lots of land for housing. We have lots of opportunities to build housing in our downtown through intensification along the highway corridors. I think about the old uh, fairgrounds. Uh, We have uh, other places throughout the city where intensification is appropriate. And then we have obviously the greenfield build out in the annexation area. What we don't have is jobs for these people that are moving here. And so we need to make sure that we uh, have the appropriate industrial supply to meet the demand of the individuals moving here. I I don't want a city that you have to be on the highway at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. I want you at your breakfast table with your family if that's where you want to be. I want you at your dinner table with your family if that's where you want to be. Not sitting on a 400 parking lot trying to get home or to work.
2: How uh, impactful was the announcement when it came down at City Hall?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of questions, you know, uh, impactful in the sense that uh, we, uh, you know, we, we weren't really sure about some of the boundary pieces because we didn't have a change of boundary. <laughs> uh, but uh, with regards to the OP, I think it was just a sort of what, what's happening here. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to the minister since. It sounds like they've got a sound plan moving forward. Uh, in the city of Barrie, uh, I hope that we uh, provide more comments on the the uh, official plan for the city of Barrie because it's now open for comment and uh, really try to drive home how we're going to meet this housing crisis and how we're going to meet, uh, you know, jobs for those individual, individuals that are uh, calling Barrie home.
2: It's been over a year now since uh, Queen's Park uh, set the goal of building 1.5 million new homes. Um, Specific targets were set for 29 communities, I believe, to hit by 2031. Uh, The 10-year target for Barry is 23,000. Where are we at now with that?
3: Well, it depends how you measure it. Um, The process to build a home is obviously a very long one, you know if you imagine buying a piece of property and then you've got to go through uh, make sure it fits the official plan and the zoning's correct and then you've got to have a site plan for it and uh, then you've got to go get permits and then then the construction starts right so it's an onerous uh, long process um, and so we're trying to do everything we can to move uh, to get things through city hall as fast as possible so Uh, This year alone, I think we've approved somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 units, uh, 6,000 units. I think by the end of the year, we'll have approved essentially 10,000 new units. To put that in perspective, the city of Barrie is 50,000 residential units. So that's 20% approved in one year. Uh, We're going to far surpass the 23,000 approved units that we need to meet. um, And then it's on to making sure that these units are actually built. Uh, that they're getting in the ground and uh, that there's actual doors and roofs over people's heads, not just pieces of property. They're sitting there with approvals. And so we've been working with the, the uh, building community to make sure that we can remove any barriers that are in the way. Uh, this year alone, I think we're uh, last check at late last week was about 1600 units that have been uh, started for construction. Uh, we're up somewhere around 50% year over year. Uh, we, when you look at the occupancies uh, year over year, we're about 80% up uh, over last year. And so I think there's a lot of really awesome things that are happening to uh, in the city of Barrie to meet the housing demands and the, the targets set by the province. And I would say that we're one of the leaders uh, around the province in terms of uh, having a plan to actually meet our our goals and targets set by the province.
2: Yeah, you kind of hinted at it there. Um, Approval and actually building new homes are kind of like two different things. Uh, You can't force developers to build. So like, how do you kind of get there?
3: Yeah, I think that it's really important that we have a good relationship with the building and development community, just like it's important we have a good relationship with every other community in the city of Barrie. And uh, that means that uh, they have to live within our rules. And it also means that uh, we need to make sure that we uh, move with speed to allow them to be able to hit market. And so, you know, we're constantly having those conversations. Any hiccups we see, uh, we try to remove the barriers. Uh, Some of this stuff is widespread when you think about uh, you know, a, a development charge by a lot impacts everyone equally. Uh, and then sometimes it's, hey, I can't seem to get uh, a response on this piece of my site plan. Uh, you know, mayor and council, can you help? And, and our, our council's there to help and uh, try to re- remove barriers, assuming that uh, everyone's playing within the rules. Really appreciate your time, mayor. Thank you so much for having me today.
2: and over the blue line off the boards behind the
0: front guys ronald passes to grimace there's a backhand pass to hamburgler back to ronald and on goal he scores what a goal by ronald mcdonald mcdonald's and hockey they've been partners since 2011 to help fund kids hockey in communities across the country including here in barry barry 360's ian mcclennan gets the game plan from local mcdonald's owner operator jason o'neill McDonald's Canada is supporting
4: minor hockey. Uh, tell me how that's going to be incorporated uh, within our municipality here in Barrie.
5: Yeah, McDonald's is so pleased to have been supporting the Mc- uh, McDonald's Atomic Program since 2011. And we've been able to um, help out uh, young kids to the tune of 550,000 kids since inception. So really what we're doing is we're helping them with uh, the cost of hockey because we wanna make sure more kids have accessibility to it with jerseys, socks, toques, and coaching equipment.
4: And since 2011, 230 teams, over 3,800 players, Barry, Bradford, Aurelia, have been supported by this program. Is that correct?
5: That's correct. And, and we're so pleased to, to you know give back and help out. Um, you know, Ian, I think that sport is so incredibly important for children. Um, you know, these boys and girls, it builds confidence. It builds courage, accountability, and discipline. And the funny thing is, that's exactly what we look for when we're trying to hire our team members when they turn 15. You know, we're looking looking for people just like that, who, who are part of a social network, you know, who, who are getting out there physically and exercising mentally, because it really b- helps them build themselves so they can be a good team member.
4: And we know whether it's professional or even minor hockey, there, there's pressure when you're on the ice and no different than having worked at McDonald's myself back in the day. Sometimes it can be a little pressured and hectic too, right?
5: Yeah. And it's all about teamwork. Yep. And, and you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. And so on a team, that's what people learn is they learn how to support each other, how to make each other better and, and really uh, deliver, you know, deliver goals. Or maybe they're delivering hot coffee.
4: And uh, hockey, ice hockey, is an expensive sport too. So um, this is kudo, this is so important for kids who want to play, but uh, financially it it may not be viable.
5: Yeah. And and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to offset that cost also to make sure that the coaches have the best tools and a hats off to those coaches because, you know, they're volunteers as well and they're making a difference in these children's uh, lives, learning life skills. But I think one of the the coolest things we do is we make sure that there's the, the best teammate of the day and they get to wear the golden jersey. And often we're trying to make sure that they get a happy meal with that or do other things just to make sure that they feel special to feel a part of the community.
4: Now, is there anybody, is there any way the community can get involved with this program too?
5: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is is come out, you know, and if you know someone on the team, these are typically 11-year-old ch- boys and girls across uh, Barrie, Bradford and Aurelia and uh, come out and support them. And uh, we'll continue to do what we can to make sure that we are offsetting the costs and also making sure that they feel that they're a real part of this community.
4: Have you seen examples yourself personally where uh, a kid has been supported by this program?
5: Absolutely. uh, We've done a number of different things. One year, we actually had Hockey Day in Barrie, where we had Ronald come into town. We had uh, uh, the Barrie Colts uh, announcer. We did Canada before. We did interviews with the team members um, in the dressing room. We had uh, special gifts for them. And I got to tell you, and the funniest one was there was a young, young, young boy who said, this is perfect. It's preparing me for the future. And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when I'm in the NHL, this is how it's going to be. And that was a very special day.
0: You want more information? Go to adamchockey.ca. After losing all three of their games two weeks ago, the Barry Colts got back on track last weekend, winning two of three games, including a 6-1 victory over league-leading Mississauga. Will Conkin returns with a look behind the scenes with Colts broadcaster and writer Gene Pereira.
2: It's the opposite of the last time we chatted, Gene. Colts got two wins out of their three games. Lost to the Erie Otters 4-2, but picked up a big win against the Steelheads 6-1, then wrapped up the weekend with a 5-1 win over the Bulldogs. Um, Bo Gelsma was looking pretty good, eh? Yeah,
6: I was certainly, uh, you know, one of those, another 3-3 three three weekend, and... Unfortunately for Barry, it started much like last weekend, ended up with uh, struggles on specialty teams and a loss to uh, Erie. But Friday night, you know, you, you know, you're facing a team that in Mississauga, that's the first place team in the OHL, undefeated at home, five and zero, and has played really, uh, really, really, you know, well at home. And uh, and what happens? But uh, you know, Barry ends up with a six one win, and uh, Bo Jelsma uh, you know, you talk about heart and soul and character guys and uh, you know, that's Bo to a T and uh, you know, you look to your leaders to lead the way and he did that exactly, you know, a one one hockey game, uh, Barry had actually got a goal. Uh, to go ahead early, which is something they hadn't been doing. They had been falling behind. And then Bo came back with two big goals in the third period that, you know, made it three one and really helped carry Barry to that win in Mississauga and uh, you know, you could just tell that Bo really wanted to win. He hadn't scored in a few games. I think he had a six-game scoreless kid there, but he had still played well. But uh, you know, again, you look to your leaders, and uh, it really speaks volumes to Bo uh, just his effort there on Friday night. And then, of course, Saturday you're coming back to play Br- Brantford at home, and you know you don't want to you don't want to kind of let go on that pedal, uh, you know. That you want to keep it going, and, and Barry did exactly that against Bradford, a team that had come in winning three games on their own and uh, playing some good hockey. And uh, Barry again played really well, five-one win, and again really limited chances against, and that was a big factor all all weekend.
2: Opposite outing as well for Seattle Kraken prospect Edward Chalet.
6: Yeah, he had back-to-back goals with Mississauga and Bradford, and. I think you're starting to see him just again get a little bit more comfortable, and uh, I thought Edward played you know really well. That top line with him, Gelsman, Frasco, were just outstanding, and again, that's the line you look to. And you know when you're losing, you want your top line to lead uh, lead the way, and they did exactly that over the weekend in helping Barry kind of uh, uh, dump that four game losing skid. So. Uh, you know, but Shelley, uh, who's ton of skill, uh, and you're starting to see it. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the chemistry to his line mates. It's take a little bit of time, but you're starting to see, uh, you know, them grow more comfortable with each other on the ice, and now you're seeing the results.
2: Some other good news: Sam Hillbrand got OHL goaltender of the week. Had a good performance, especially against the Steelheads.
6: Yeah, I, I think. Sam, you know, is clearly kind of starting to wrestle that number one job away from Ben West and you know, a young netminder. And again, he's just one of these guys you watch, he's just steady and composed and uh you know, he, he played well and you know, I thought Barry did a good chance of limiting the chances on Friday and Saturday, but Hillebrand came up with some big stops, especially in that game against Mississauga in that first period. He made two outstanding stops late in a uh in a one nothing hockey game where where uh Mississauga had First, they had a two-on-one with a great chance, and he made a great save coming across the crease. And then again, when Mississauga a couple of minutes later had a two-on-none, and he made a big stop. So that kept Barry up at one-one. Mississauga would tie it, but uh, again, it allowed them to carry the lead into the second period, and they got a couple of goals from Gelsma. But Hillbrand again, it was nice to see him rewarded with the goaltender of the week, and uh, I think he's uh, uh, you know he's coming to his own. You saw him; he got into three games last year but now an opportunity to play a bigger role and he's taking advantage
2: of it. Colts now hit the road, play Kingston on Friday, get the day off, then in Ottawa on Sunday. Um, What's the biggest thing you want to see from the team out of this road trip?
6: I I think you want to see consistency. uh, You know, and, and again, I mean, A a couple things to you know to point out from the weekend, right, was that they were much better on specialty teams. Of course, that's been been a big factor. But I think for Wells to get those good starts early, getting ahead, uh, you know, and that kind of builds confidence. And then as well, too, I think in both those wins, uh, Barry had leads going into the third period. And what do they do there? They score two goals. Uh, early in the third to kind of make it 5-1 and really kind of put that game away against Mississauga and then again they score early in the third against Brantford and that kind of helped carry them and it's that type of thing is you don't want to see that you that, uh, you know take the foot off the pedal there and allow another team to kind of creep back in and you know 60 minute hockey it's a cliche but I think Barry we saw that over the two games and that's what you want to see is that consistency throughout the game.
2: Looking forward to see how they handle the road trip and, as always, your write-ups. Thanks again, Gene.
6: Thanks, Will.
0: What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began two summers ago, got caught up with Innisfil singer-songwriter Kyle Walkup, and went behind the scenes with film director Ron Chapman to learn more about what many believe was the second most important rock concert next to Woodstock, the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival at Varsity Stadium in 1969. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's talking about through any podcast distributor still to come on what barry's talking about eating disorders among youths are on the rise rvh and aurelia soldiers memorial hospital teaming up to help and we talk carbon monoxide what it is how it can kill you and why you need an alarm for that as well as a smoke alarm in your house now this it's cool to care it's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling 1-888-2-donate.
1: Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com.
2: It's cool to care with 107.5 Cool FM.
1: This is
0: what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. RVH and Aurelia Soldiers Memorial Hospital have launched a Simcoe Muskoka Regional Eating Disorder Program aimed at youth in the community. Here again is Ian McLennan with Laura Ferris, a director of women and children's programs at Soldiers Memorial. Squeeze it down for us. What is this program and what does it offer?
1: Basically, it addresses the urgent needs for specialized eating disorder services in our region. Um, It provides a comprehensive, evidence-based outpatient treatment program to children, adolescents, and young adults under the age of 25 uh, within Barrie, Orillia, and the surrounding area.
4: Now, was there some type of program like this already at one of the hospitals, or what's different if there is?
1: We did have a a program previously, uh, but it did not... uh, have best practice standards uh, built into it um, because there is very limited research on Uh, treatment for eating disorders, um, it's come to light over the last couple years. So this new program delivers uh, family-based therapy and enhanced cognitive behavioral therapy for disorders like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and other specified feeding or eating disorders, which is a category of eating disorders that includes conditions that do not meet full criteria for other specific eating disorders, but still represent a significant clinical concern uh, and impairment in functioning or health.
4: And this is for those under the age of uh, 25, uh, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh, historically, we only treated patients up to the age of 18, um, but we have incorporated a transitional-aged youth program to help uh, patients up to the age of 25. Uh, Previously, patients up to the age of 18 would be discharged from the program, but at the age of 18, this is a very important time in one's life where you're transitioning um, to university or college, and uh, we really want to support these patients through this time period as well.
4: And when you say help, what does that help look like for the, for the patient and the family and whether it's in a hospital setting or outside or what, how did, would you define the help that's offered?
1: Uh, it's an outpatient setting, so our family-based therapy um, is with the patient's family as well. Um, it is done over 20 weeks with uh, one treatment session a week, and it's very regimented in what uh, the patient would go through in each session. Um, and then the cognitive behavioral therapy um, program is a little bit different where it's one-on-one, and it's two sessions a week. Um, so it is a little bit different. It's 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 dependent on what type of eating disorder you have and which one would best match the patient and what they're going through at that time.
4: Now they're long wait lists for, for treatment. Um, so does this, uh, bridge that, uh, somewhat in case the patient needs, uh, you know, additional services, maybe at a center like Sunnybrook or what have you? Uh,
1: yeah. So, um, well, currently we have a wait list of 95 patients awaiting treatment, but with the implementation of our new program, we are very optimistic about significantly reducing wait times um, to ensure that uh, patients going forward receive care in a more prompt and efficient manner because what we do know is that early identification and treatment, and treatment of eating disorders results in a much better outcomes.
4: Are we seeing more um, more cases of uh, uh, young people with eating disorders even uh, before the pandemic? Or is there any reason, rhyme or reason, if, if that's the case, why it's happening?
1: Eating disorders have always been around, and we were able to somewhat manage the caseload prior to uh, the pandemic. But during the pandemic, we observed deeply concerning trends at both Royal Victoria Regional Health Centre and Aurelia Soldiers Memorial Hospital. Uh, the number of people struggling with eating disorders escalated dramatically, exceeding increases of 200% or more. And this wasn't just a statistic to us, it reflected a real growing crisis in our community. Um, this surge uh, in cases led to uh, unprecedented rises in hospital admissions as well. So. More young individuals were in urgent need of specialized care, and then this influx inevitably resulted in significantly longer wait lists, where we were un- unable to meet the demands within the community um, and provide timely and effective care.
4: Were health um, officials able to put a finger on uh, why why the increase?
1: Um, well, there's there it's not fully known, but just I believe the isolation of Children being at home, being on social media more often, and being isolated and not being around their friends or family, like extended family members, really caused uh, this kind of a trickle effect. It was almost the um, endemic of our pandemic uh, was this uh, significant rise in eating disorders. it was it was ultimately like this critical scenario uh, that resulted in the development of our new eating disorder program. We we recognized the urgent need for specific treatment options, um, and this program is committed to providing uh, the latest evidence based care.
0: Is
4: there a breakdown in terms of gender? Is it more prevalent among uh, young girls, young females, compared to male?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that. I I, I it okay. is. A, I would say obviously females uh, are are. Slightly more impacted but we still do have uh, a male population as well that we see um, in this program.
4: And these, uh, these um, eating disorders sadly they, they can yeah. be deadly.
1: Absolutely um, most notably anorexia nervosa that is uh, one, one of the disorders that is identified as a, having a high mortality rate.
0: And if
4: people wish to uh, get their loved one uh, into, in, into care, where can they reach out to, to, to follow through?
1: Uh, you can go on uh, RVH's website and uh, there is a referral form and it just needs to be filled out by a physician or a nurse practitioner and uh, the form would then be sent to our uh, centralized intake uh, and then from there you would get a call from one of our um, healthcare providers.
0: Again, for more information, log on to rvh.on.ca, then enter a search for Simcoe Muskoka Regional Eating Disorder Program. It's a sneaky gas, carbon monoxide, a byproduct of the fuel burning appliances in our homes, and it can be a killer. Barry Deputy Fire Chief Carrie Clark and fire educator Kate Foster dropped in to promote the use of carbon monoxide alarms and offer advice on what to
7: do if it starts beeping
2: what is carbon monoxide or CO and how is it produced?
7: Carbon monoxide is an invisible gas. It's odorless, tasteless. It doesn't, you can't see it, you can't smell it, but it is produced by any device that burns a carbon-based fuel. So it could be wood, natural gas, propane, any of those types, heating oil, any of those things um, creates a lot of different um, off gases, and one of them is carbon monoxide. So if you have any of those devices in your home, water heater, dryer, furnace, wood stove, fireplace, uh, gas insert fireplace, or if you have an attached garage where you start your car, where you might run a snowblower for a period of time, that can also migrate into your home.
2: And then um, I'd like to know the uh, history of carbon monoxide alarms. Uh, Could you guys dive into that as well?
7: In the early 80s, when houses started to get more energy efficient and uh, they were tighter and didn't have the same amount of air leak, it became obvious that we had a problem with carbon monoxide. So um, because the houses were tighter and there was less air leakage, the carbon monoxide would build up in the house and be, you know, injury, serious injuries or fatalities were developing from carbon monoxide. So the industry... um, address that by making carbon monoxide alarms, which have a little sensor in them that builds up cumulative carbon monoxide um, to give you a warning that you have a problem in your home.
2: Why are they placed in specific areas?
7: So we like you to have them in the area where you're sleeping. Carbon monoxide is the same molecular weight as air. So it, it circulates freely in your home with the forced air gases that we have, uh, in our homes. So we want it to be where you're sleeping because that's when all the doors are closed in your home. All the windows are, you know, like everything is nice and tight as a bug while you're sleeping. But uh, that's also when it can build up. It can build up anytime, but that's when you're the most vulnerable because you're asleep. So we want it to be in the areas where you're sleeping. So you'll hear it, wake up and go outside.
2: What are the fines if uh, people are found without uh, a carbon monoxide alarm in their home or if it's, if it's not working?
7: So the fine is actually $360. It's the same as if you didn't have a working smoke alarm. The more important part is that people don't realize that a carbon monoxide emergency is an emergency. When they see smoke, it triggers them to act. They can't see it. They can't taste it. But the alarm's going off and they don't believe it's an emergency. So we really get a lot of calls on our non-emerge lines. Like My alarm's beeping. I'm not sure what to do. Or it was beeping, so I unplugged it, and it stopped beeping, but now it's beeping again. Those, when it's beeping, it's probably an emergency, because you can't see it like smoke, but it really is an emergency. So we need you to call 911 and follow the directions of our dispatchers, which are to close all the doors and windows and get out of the house. We know it's cold. We know it's dark. We know it's snowing, whatever. But we really need you to be outside, because the gas that's in your home is poisoning you.
2: With the time change coming up, people are changing their clocks. uh, Could also check the carbon monoxide alarms um, and the batteries in those as well, right?
8: Yeah, absolutely. In the fire service, we like to say, change the hour, check the power. Um, and that really goes for your carbon monoxide alarms as well as your smoke alarms. So we want everyone to get into the habit when you do turn uh, your clocks forward or back to make sure that you've checked the power on your smoke alarms and your CO alarms. So oftentimes our CO alarms do get missed but they're just as important so you need to make sure that they have power that they're in good working order so that they can detect that um you know poisonous gas that could be in the air and give you the appropriate warning you need to get out safely
2: carbon monoxide awareness week week runs until the seventh i believe uh what does berry fire have planned for it
8: yeah, so this year we are going to head out to Home Depot uh, during Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week. So on November 2nd, uh, we're going to be at Home Depot from 2 to 4.30 p.m., have information, literature, giveaways, things like that, just to help um, anyone who may have questions about these alarms and devices, just to help you be more knowledgeable and empower uh, you to feel good and safe in your home. And we'll also be out on November 6th as well doing the exact same thing. So just trying to bring awareness, helping everyone feel confident um, in making your home as safe as possible.
7: If you're considering buying a new carbon monoxide alarm, try and consider getting one that has a digital readout on it. Zero is the goal, but if you do see anything other than zero, maybe five or eight, those are um, signals to you, alerts that something in your home isn't working 100%. So to get a technician in for whatever carbon fuel burning appliance you have, Um, to check it and make sure that there's not any maintenance that needs to be done. So just, you know, when you're walking by it on the way to the bedroom, just look for the number and make sure it's zero. If it's not, have a tech come
8: in. You can find information on barry.ca slash fire safety. We have a lot of great uh, tips there, information, insight on not only CO um, alarms and what carbon monoxide is, but also, again, our smoke alarms and what's required of you so that you can be knowledgeable um, and making sure that, again, your home is as safe as possible.
0: We really
2: appreciate your time today.
8: Great. Thank Thank you you so much.
0: And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical tinkering, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on X at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com. Some of you can still see us on Facebook, and there's our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.